There are a lot of movies I bet you've watched and we've laughed at, of course. And we've seen that there have been people who have uh, gotten a little inebriated. And we got an, they got a little bit inebriated and we thought it was funny. I mean, it is kind of funny to watch somebody who's slurring their speech or they're, they're, um, you know, they're acting goofy because they've had a little bit too much to drink. Unfortunately, that's not what happens many of the times when people have too much to drink. Many times what happened is more of a tragedy than what happens in the, the movies. You see, when we drink too much, if we drink too much, alcohol raises the level of nor, norepinephrine in your, uh, it's a chemical in your brain. And that chemical will stimulate people to disregard the consequences of their actions. And therefore, this is what happens. Therefore, that might result in a bar fight. It can result in a date rape. Or it can result in somebody shooting somebody that normally they wouldn't have done any of these things because they do not see the consequences of their actions. They only see the moment that is right in front of them. I believe that false teachers are like the drunk preachers who have no concerns about the consequences of their actions in the long run. You see, I believe, and I know this, false teachers are for the moment. That is what they are for. They are for the moment. So I'm going to read, and I've been talking about false preachers, and uh, it's kind of a weird uh, way that I've done this. It's been in, this is the fourth message in this, and the final message about false teachers. Of course, I started before Easter, then I had to take a break of two weeks for Easter, then I did one more message, and then I took a break for Mother's Day. So this is a four-week uh, series that took eight weeks to actually get it done. So if I repeat some of this, it's because I know that there's no way you can even remember some of the things that I said. But this verse, these verses that I'm about to read to you in uh, Romans 16, 19, and 20, uh, they're not talking. They say, well, they don't talk about false uh, preachers. Well, it's actually in the same paragraph. It is talking about uh, false teachers. But what Paul is saying here is that the false teachers are like this. That was the verses before. He says, I am like this. And what that means is, is that he's contrasting himself and other godly teachers against those false teachers. So we take that as we, as we read it. So it's Romans chapter 16, verse 19. It says, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So here's the the situation. He's making a contrast, a contrast between, you know, the false teachers and himself. And what Paul is dealing with here in this whole book of Romans, he's dealing with the eternity of these people. He's looking not only at the moment that he's in, but in the consequences of what is going to happen. And there has to be uh, an understanding that if you don't trust in Jesus, I mean, a lot of people ask me, well, that sin they're doing, that's, that, that, they'll go to hell for that sin. I said, nobody goes to hell because of a sin. They go to hell because their sins are never paid for. Everybody has sinned. There's no special sins in this. Everybody has sinned. 
And so we all need Jesus. But false teachers aren't concerned about the eternity. In fact, false teachers are not for eternity. In the first place, they're just not for eternity. So, I would, when I read this, I would take these a little bit of piece, uh, a piece of the scripture at each time. Not so I can take it out of context, because I'm going to leave it in context of what it is. Paul says, for your obedience is known to all. False teachers care little about obedience to God's word. Absolutely care very little about it. In fact, as I've already mentioned, they don't, they don't even, they don't take the scripture and certainly don't put it in the context. What did I say they do? They take a piece of scripture, take it out of context, first thing. They run to an allegorical understanding and application of that. Then they apply it to the flesh. What they do is to say, this is going to make you feel better. This is going to make you richer. Or this is going to make you, it can make you famous or even uh, uh, successful. Is what they, They'll use uh, some of those words that are in there. And what is that applying to? It's applying to the, the lust of the flesh. That's about the body, making it feel better. Lust of the eyes. That's about possessions and money. And that's, you know, you're going to have more money because of that. Or the pride of life, which is what? You're going to be successful. You're going to be famous and all of that other stuff. So that's how they apply it. And the interesting thing about it is they do this in such an exciting manner that most people cannot even catch that they've done it. They've been exciting. And everybody goes, wow, wasn't that a great sermon? And when you say, what did they say? Those people don't even know. They know it was exciting, but they really don't know even why. So what these false teachers are actually doing, as I have observed them, is that they do not try to take the scripture and let the scripture give the message. They try to take their message and put it into the scripture. In other words, they're looking for a scripture that matches whatever they want to say in the first place. And ultimately, they're looking for something that will get into your pocketbook. Let's just be honest. They're getting into your pocketbook. But here's the situation for eternity. At the core of our Christian faith, it's we're supposed to be making disciples and becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. And discipleship must result in some things that I'm going to mention to you again very quickly here, but I'm going to mention to you again because they, you, you understand this is for eternity. First one is they, discipleship must result in deepening worship. Deepening worship. Now, why is that important? Get this. When you get to heaven, you're going to worship. You understand, you're going to be the presence of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You're going to be there for an eternity, and you are going to worship. You need to get prepared for that. And so here's what Jesus said when he was asked about the greatest commandment. It says, Matthew 22, 27, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. I promise you when we get to heaven, we're going to be loving on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be loving on God the Father. And we're going to be loving on God uh, and God the Holy Spirit. I promise that's what's going to happen. And so we are in the discipleship process for eternity, for eternity's sake. Second thing, an increasing love for others. This is what discipleship does. It's a second commandment. It says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, and a second is like it. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. It's important that we are loving people. 
Can you imagine we're going to go to heaven and say, boy, I wish they didn't make it. I don't like that guy over there. You realize we're preparing ourselves for this place that we're going to be, that we will love everybody and everybody's going to love us. That's not like here. That's not like here. And we are being prepared. It says, and Jesus said this, he called it a new commandment. In John 13, uh, 34, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We're going to go to heaven with the people that we love. That's what it's, going to, it's saying to us. And we need to love them now. So that's what a disciple is. is. Third thing is cheerful generosity. Cheerful generosity. You know, we need to learn some things are not permanent. We need to learn that when you see that, that, that uh, hearse go by and you get out and that people that get out of that car and they've got diamonds on and their riches and all about this. They got all of this opulence about them. Do you realize how much that person is left behind? All of it. All of it. It's not going to have any purpose for us, for us later. So it says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not because the preacher is trying to tell you to, you can get something out of God, because if you give a little more, God's going to give you some more. Because I've heard, I've heard this, the way they say it, that's not what's going to happen. You see, we've got to understand, we've got to let go of that kind of stuff and say, and do it cheerfully. Not as the preacher says, but as you and God have gotten it together. You and God have decided, this is what I want to do, and I can do it cheerfully. And if you haven't done it cheerfully, you haven't done it right. You understand that. The fourth thing is, to, it's abiding in God's Word. It's what we're going to do. Why is that going to be important? Because the Word of God is what going to, how long is the Word of God going to last? Forever. That's what the Scripture says. It says in John chapter 8, verse 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The proof of abiding in the word is to know that the truth is setting you free. And if you're still living under the bondage of of fear and greed, you're not (laughs) abiding in the word. You need to understand all of this is something that it gives us a place we're going to be in eternity with. And then praying with faith. It says in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See, this is the word plus the abiding in Christ. We've got to abide in the word and abide in Christ. You see, many people with their definition, when they read this scripture right here, they want to read that last clause and they don't want to read the first clause. They want to take that out of context. You see, they, they like that, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. They don't care about the, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. You have to realize what's going on. See, I have to have, you know, I have to abide in Jesus Christ and his words have to abide within me. Because, and here's the reason. We are not going to pray the godly things without God's spirit within us. In fact, we can't accomplish godly spiritual things without the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be able to. But here's the beauty of it. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for it. You're going to get it. 
Judge Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit within you. And here's the thing. A lot of people, even believers, what are they trying to do? They're trying to live their lives in the flesh. In other words, they think that by the power of themselves, they can do all that God wants them to do. And that, my friends, is impossible. And what will happen is you will pray and you will work and you will love other people the best you can. The best you can in the flesh. You will forgive when it's convenient and you will give while you're watching your bank account. And what I'm trying to say to you there is, is that you will not be prepared for this eternity. Well, that's not going to matter anymore. Those kinds of things. You need to have the Holy Spirit in you now. So when you get to the, to the place of heaven, there will be, it will be an easy transition for you to go into this. And then you need soul winning love. Soul winning love. In John 15, 8, it says... By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And what I'm saying to you here is this, and I hope I can say this very clearly. I'm not trying to tell you that you have the ability to save anybody. You don't. But I can tell you that if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you and you allow the Holy Spirit to open your mouth for boldness, and if you will say what the Spirit is leading you to say you will find that the Spirit will convict, the Spirit will bring these people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will see the baptism waters stirred again and again and again and again. That's really the truth of what we need. That's what we've got to have. And so here it is. It said, I see these things as going into eternity because what you're going to do is you're bringing people with you into this eternity. You're bringing them in with you to eternity. But false teachers have mostly no interest in this. They are, except for maybe a drive-by. They're they're kind of a drive-by thing. Here's what happens with them. It's like that, uh, you know, I used to watch these old country uh, uh, western uh, music stations. And they would sing these songs. It would Usually they were like 30 minutes long or an hour long. I don't remember how long they were. And they'd get in there and they would sing songs about drinking and fighting and, and you know, you know, you know uh, cheating and all of that kind of stuff. And then they'd say, and now we come to the favorite part of our program, our gospel song. And I'm going, after you've done all of this for the whole time. And so they sing this song about Jesus as the credits go up, you know, coming on the, on the TV program. And I watch that kind of stuff. That's a drive-by to me. That's a drive-by. False teachers are drive-by. See, false teachers are like people who sell exercise equipment, you know. They tell you and they claim it to be very easy. This will be the easiest thing you ever did. And see, they sell it and tell you it will transform your life. But they actually don't care if anything ever changes in your life. They don't need to. They got your money already for false teachers rejoice over your money. They do not rejoice over you. Paul says here, he says, so that I rejoice over you. That's what he says in that verse 19. And they, so what they do is, is that they rejoice over your money. And the reason is, is because they believe that godliness is a means of a, of a financial gain. And in fact is, 
That idea is rebuked right in the Bible when Paul is warning Timothy about that. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, And constant friction among the people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. And here it is. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you is this. Do not believe for one moment that you can be so godly that you will get rich. Do not think for one moment that you can be so godly that no bad thing will ever happen to you. Never think for a moment that you can be so godly that everybody else is just going to be able to say, you know what, nothing ever happens to you like it happens to me. And you would be able to say, well, that's because I'm so godly. And I think it's an affront to God and it, and, it, and it bothers me when people think, well, that person got cancer because they did such and such or they didn't do such and such. I'm telling you, folks, that is not what our faith is all about in the first place. And so these false teachers and their, their love of money is their motivation. This is what they, they really want. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to tell you the, what I believe in is truth. I've just watched enough of these people on TV and I've heard them talk about this seed faith so much, send me in so much and God's going to do all of this to, for you. And they're saying this is a means of financial gain for you. And I'm going, no, no, it's not. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Somebody wrote me and said, were our false teachers, were they always false teachers or did they wander away? I don't know. I don't know what their heart is. But I think that a lot of them probably started on the right path. But what they did was they got off the path. And they got off the path because... You know what? They found out that they weren't paying the bills or getting more of the money. That, and they, they looked around and said, how can I do that? And I can do it this way. They are much like Judas, who evidently showed some promise in becoming a disciple. But the love of money caused him to pilfer from the offerings that they were getting, that Jesus and the disciples get, uh, were getting. And ultimately, it caused him to betray Jesus for his 30 pieces of silver. You see, money is for the moment. That's what it is. It's for the moment. There is no money in heaven. And if you can take that money with you to hell, it won't do you any good. Just letting you know. So it's not going to be about the eternity when you're talking about money. False teachers are not concerned that you are wise. Paul wrote here, he says, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent and as what is evil. See, the, Paul, the wisdom that Paul is speaking of is, against, is about that. You know what's good and innocent and you know what is evil. You know, wisdom is needed for those future decisions. Wisdom is used for discerning the decisions you need to make. Wisdom determines what is good and, what is, and, and innocent and what is evil. The wisdom that Paul is speaking of is spiritual wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 13 says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Understand what he said there. He says, it's one thing for the preacher to be, and, you know, and I pray to be anointed by the Holy Spirit before each service. And I want to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. But what if I'm anointed by the Holy Spirit and the people are not anointed by the Holy Spirit? You see, what I'm saying to you is, is that it is 
spiritual truths that go to spiritual people. That's the way that it, it's supposed to go here. And so the, the, the Bible teaches the us to teach others. And it teaches that, that reception of the spiritual teaching becomes because we are also spiritual. Spiritual wisdom comes from training in God's word according to the scripture. And 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 6 says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of, of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather train yourself for godliness. See, many people do not have any true roots in doctrine. They may have heard about it, but they don't know exactly what it it really is. They don't know where to find it in the scriptures. And what happens to them is, is that when they hear these silly stories, literally silly stories from these false teachers, they don't discern them. They're not able to say, that's a silly story. That couldn't be a possibility that that's going on. They, They just think of it as silly. When I was a college student, I was brand new in the faith, and I was, I want to tell you, when I was a college student, I was brand new in the faith, I almost flunked out of college because I was so voraciously reading the scripture and going to as many spiritual meetings and, and preachings that I could hear. I was just trying to hear it all because I was, I was thinking, you know, I'm so far behind from all these other people that they got saved when they're eight or nine years of age. And here I am in my 20s now. And I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm just been saved not too long before that. And I was just thinking this is the way it was. And my roommate... He invited some Mormon missionaries over. And you know what Mormon missionaries are. They were the guys on the bicycles. They got a little, uh, usually a little black deal, and they're elders such and such on each of their deals. And he invited them over, and, and, and I didn't know what a Mormon was. I promise you, I didn't know what a Mormon was. And I was, you know, so, so I, you know, they were, they were talking about spiritual things. Guess what I was going to do? I'm going to go join the spiritual, con- the, you know, conversation here. So, I, you know, I, I'm, I've got my Bible. I'm ready to go with them. And so I asked them first, I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior? They said, yes. I said, okay. And then they started to explain their faith. And as they explained their faith, I got out my Bible. And I'm going to tell you, this is one of those times that I know that the Holy Spirit was there. Because, one, I'm not that smart. And secondly, I hadn't been, I really hadn't known the scriptures that well uh, yet. So here I was. And what happened was, is that they would say something about their faith. And I would say, but how do you reconcile that? And I would turn to the exact right place in the scripture. That was a miracle to me. It was a miracle at that time. It still be a miracle to me for me today. And so you see, it says in, in John sixteen thirteen, it says the Spirit will guide you in all truth, and that's exactly what was happening there. And so what happened was, so you know, I, we had this conversation. It probably was an hour, or maybe a little longer than that. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I've, I've said reconcile that, and and they would go to silly things. I'm telling you what, I thought they were silly then. And then I'd say, are you kidding? You know, and I'd go on, you know, because I'm a college student. They were about my age. So, you know, I was just talking to them like I would to anybody my age. And so I went through that. And so they left. And as they left, I said, I want to invite you guys to come back. I'd like to have this discussion some more. And so a few days later, my, my uh, roommate who had invited them in the first place, who was not a believer at that time, he said to me, he said, the, the, the Mormon missionaries want to come back. I said, good, tell me when it is. I'll get my Bible and we'll get ready. Maybe I can bring, invite some other friends over that know more than me. He said, no, uh, they want to come over, but they don't want you there. I said, oh. And my roommate said, you know, but if they can't handle you, because he knew I was new in the faith. 
He said, I'm not, I don't want to talk to him either. But that's what happens. You should be trained in it. False teachers will be discovered if the people have discernment over what is good or evil. That's what's going to happen. See, they, in fact, is, is that because false teachers are, for the moment, they want your decision right now. They do not like the development of wisdom. They will say to you, just like you might go in some car lot someday, and here's the guy say to you, it says, I can only give you this deal today. They want you to make that decision right there. And I want you to hear, folks, I have probably missed some good deals in the, t- in the time that I've been, you know, even buying cars and stuff like that. But if any dealer ever says those words to me, I walk out 100% of the time. I always walk out at that moment. You see, I want you to understand, if you do anything, you make any decision, and you do it because of what I have said, it's probably something you should have thought more about. If you do anything that the Holy Spirit has said to you, you better do it right away. Not because I said it, but because the Holy Spirit has said it. You need to do that. And if you hear that you've got to make the decision today because the decision might not be good tomorrow because of what I have said, you walk out. If you hear that the Holy Spirit says to you, I'm giving you this today, I don't promise you tomorrow, you better do it. You just absolutely better do it. See, false teachers are not concerned about judgment. Paul writes here, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Hear hear that. You see, that's that's a weird thing. You know, he's the God of peace, but crushing Satan is a violent act. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's the God of peace. That's going to take you into a, a, that's going to do a violent act. See, we think of peace as the absence of war. In fact, as you look that up in the dictionary, you'll probably say that. But the Hebrew thinking of this is that peace is a positive that crushes the enemy of peace. And so the false teacher who will cause those divisions that I spoke of is not concerned with peace. That false teacher who acts for himself or herself is not concerned with peace. The, the smooth-talking false teacher is not concerned with peace. The false teacher that acts for the moment has no concern for the future and the future that spells destruction. It, and here's the other, what I loved about this. It is though, it is, will be God who does the crushing, because that's what the scripture says, but he'll be crushed under our feet. Did you read that? It says he'll crush him under your feet. I thought that was very interesting. It, that kind of alludes to the, to the uh, Genesis 3.15, where... where God is putting a curse on Satan. And he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will crush his heel. Who's going to crush it? It will be the offspring of the woman, Jesus Christ. It is under our feet that he is crushed. And that word for crush that Greek word for crushed in Romans means it's crushed to shivers. You know what shivers are. You take glass and you break it into little, little bitty shivers. You see, let's say we have a time machine. 
Let me give you a date, and maybe this date is not significant to you and whatsoever, but you're a historian because you got a time machine. And it's April the 9th, 1912. You're in Southampton, England. You want to make a journey over to the United States. And what you need is you need to go over there fast and you want to go over there safe. And in the harbor there at Southampton, England, is a ship. And it is supposed to be the fastest ship ever built. And it is the ship that nobody will ever see sink. And you say, okay, I would like to to book uh, first class passage on this ship. And when you go out to the ship, you look on the side and the name of it is Titanic. Do you get on the ship? Do you get on the ship? You see, I don't have a time machine. But I know that false teachers are going to have a destruction to them as they get crushed because they're doing the work of Satan under God, or our feet. It's going to be under our feet, but God's going to do the crushing. And what I would say if I were there in my time machine, and I know that you, I've seen all these movies, not supposed to change the flow of time. I could not help but get out there and say, folks, folks don't get on that boat. Don't get on that boat. It's going to sink. Do not get on that boat. It's going to sink. And I don't care that you're going to live in the lap of luxury for four more days with your first class passage. Because it won't do you any good because on the fifth day you'll be at the bottom of the ocean. That is what is coming up. God wants you to have peace. He says... Or rather, have his grace. I'm sorry, I got it wrong. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You see, not some grace that you think in some manipulated way that you can squeeze God and get something out of him that you want. You see, if you want to have grace, you want to have grace of God. Not that cotton candy covered pseudo grace that is being sold by false teachers. For grace... Grace is, the, is not saying that you won't go through difficult times. But grace is saying, I'm going to grow through this difficult time. I'm going to get closer to God as I've gone through this difficult time. Grace is when, saying, I don't think I could take another step. And God gives you another step. And you find that in that growth and in that walking with God, you're taking step after step. Not because of the strength that is within you, because the strength that God has placed in you. It's grace. Grace is that that witness that you have when you go through that difficult time. And there's others that are watching you and they're saying, how did you do that? How did you do that? And your answer is, it's the grace of God. It is simply the grace of God. See, that's the grace that Paul wanted these people to have. That's the grace that, I'm going to tell you the truth, folks. I want you to have that grace too. Pray with me. Father.